Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we help you bridge the empathy gap to bring you a valuable new understanding of some of the most innovative ideas and trends shaping the future of business and customer experience. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. I'm Andy McMillan, CEO of User Testing. And today we've invited Paul Stonick, who's held design and UX leadership roles at companies such as the Home Depot, Barclays, and Viacom. And Paul also served as an advisory board member for the Rutgers Design Thinking Program. Thanks so much for joining us today, Paul, and welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Happy to be here. So you've had a journey through the design and UX world with leadership positions across retail, financial services, telecom, just to name a few. Can you tell us a little bit about your career journey? Yeah, it's an interesting journey, and it's not necessarily a straight path either. Either So I like to call my background tradigital, the type of work that I've done. So I'm a student of the web. I came online right around the same time. The internet got its voice as we know it in the mid-90s. The running joke is that I graduated with a degree in art history and a really wicked backhand. So that funneled me into a career in tennis in the early 90s. And once I realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life, I went back to school to study web design and web development. And I started my career at MTV in the trenches doing production type of work, typical web design. And as my career progressed, I moved through the ranks in different companies, led teams of various sizes. In a lot of ways, my leadership just evolved over time as well. I've had the, the pleasure of, of fantastic mentors in my lifetime as well, too. And I would say a lot of my leadership principles have stayed the same, whether it's trust or empowerment or listening or courage, you know, big picture thinking, things like that still remain important to me in terms of my core values and what I stand for. And most recently, I was with the Home Depot as director of online and user experience. And there I had a world-class team of 50 architects, content strategists, designers, researchers, in support of customer-facing solutions for homedepot.com, the fifth largest e-commerce site in the planet, and for the mobile app as well. That's an incredible career journey. I love the start at MTV. I, I didn't realize that. How has the world of UX and design changed or evolved as you've moved through your career? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because as I mentioned, I started my career in the mid to late 90s, and we used to call those the glory days of design, where we would big, we'd build these big, beautiful, flashy websites, capital F and lowercase f, in terms of these big, beautiful sites that no one really questioned their usability or long-term efficiency. Uh, I think most of us remember from that time frame of either frames, tables, static sites, and kind of out of that flash ash and the demise of flash came CSS and HTML5, social media, then flat design, responsive design in 2010. But I think in the last 10, 15 years, you still kind of have these concurrent running paths of user experience design, design, user experience didn't quite have the cachet it has now or the label, even though it was really coined back in the mid-90s by Don Norman. I think it's more about what we should do and less what we can do. And I think designers have been looking at it different ways over time. I remember in the early 2000s doing information architecture and user flows and testing. And I believe a lot of it has come full circle in a way, too. If you go back to the very early days of what the internet was in terms of information hierarchy and structure and content and how that could be relayed, that's really important today when you think about user experience design and one of the key disciplines. But I think what's even more interesting now is how UX is moving into different fields when you start thinking about AI and voice technology and VR. What does that look like? And what are the new problems and challenges we have to face when it comes to that type of technology? So it's very interesting in terms of how everything has evolved over the last 25 plus years. It's a very short window 
that we've been in for design, if you think about it, right, there's still a long ways to go. I think that's super interesting, Paul. When you think about that trajectory, it's interesting you talk about those kind of websites in the 90s. I mean, I was part of my early experience was building websites for uh, for General Motors back then. And it was like, I remember the ad agencies, you said, you said, I always want to have these huge background images. And we were all in these horribly slow modems. And I remember pages just loading like a little section at a time, right? But it, it's felt like the speed of that transition is on a rocket ship now with the pandemic hitting and other things like this whole digital transformation happening so quickly. And, you know, you talk about the, the needs or goals of the website being different or the digital property. Do you think, do you think that's driving a different seat at the table for UX teams? I mean, do you think designers and then UX focused perspectives deserve a seat like at the sea level? I mean, how do we think about this to try to drive the kind of decision-making? Because you're right, it isn't just just about the design principles. It's about how the business is represented in those design principles as well. So where, where should design sit in the world? Yeah, I'm a big proponent of this. I absolutely a thousand percent believe design should be at the C-suite level, whether it's chief design, chief experience, chief creative, chief whatever you want to call it, right? That person needs to be at the table to help influence strategy, direction, or priority. Because when design is brought to that level of strategy, it becomes a powerful transformation tool as well too. And it promotes inter- interdependence. You can break down silos. It can be a guiding philosophy to rethink products. So it's not just about the design itself, but it also can solve business problems. And I think that's really interesting. And that was one of the best things when I was at Home Depot is that we were able to bring that type of thinking to the ELT level and facilitate conversations using design as a tool to help figure out big issues facing the company. It wasn't coming out with a digital prototype. It's either coming out with a strategy or process or organization. And Having the ELT in the room and think this way and creating those either magic moments or eyes light up moment really changed how they approach a particular problem. So I'm super proud of that because it brought it to a whole new level. And that was always the vision of what we were thinking about where design should be brought. It should be at that level where people are thinking about it in that way. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I remember um, at one point in my career when I was at Salesforce, actually, we were talking with Home Depot. And I remember someone at Home Depot said, you know, we're trying to figure out how to bring the size and scale of what we do to be valuable in that digital experience, right? It's not just that we have a website where you can buy something. It's that we're Home Depot and we've got, we've, you know, contractors on our platform. We've got direct relationships with these suppliers. We, you know, we have this whole thing to bring to bear. And I think it really goes to that idea of like, how do you design for that to be the case rather than just try to make your website prettier than the next companies? Yeah, agreed. I think the business was very smart going back eight or 10 years where the Home Depot invested in the experience people wanted, which was that interconnected experience, the blend of digital and physical, what I like to call digital in in that type of world. And that's where they started to see that huge growth in the business. So they were smart. They got in front of it years ago and invested in that, not only from a front end, but supply chain, fulfillment, fulfillment centers. You think about how the stores could be fulfillment centers as well. They were smart in how they made that investment. And, you know, going back to what we were saying regarding design thinking and bringing that to the table, my good friend, Stephen Gates, always says that the worst part about design thinking is that design is in the title, right? It's really about solving problems at the end of the day. It's interesting that you call back the investment the Home Depot has made, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago. I remember when I was at Nielsen Norman Group, we used to tout the um, Home Depot experience where you would look up to see if an item was in a nearby store and it would tell you exactly where it was, what aisle it was, and even what, you know, what shelf it was on or bay. Like that was 
crazy innovative uh, at the time. And we used to talk about that as being like best in class, like amazing con- connection between digital and physical. Agreed. I, you know, the mobile app is probably the crown jewel of the interconnected experience. And I had a very, very talented team working on that. And you know, wayfinding is one of the best features in there. And we know most of the traffic comes from people when they're in store using the app as well, too. So, and I use it all the time to find where's that hammer or where's the ladder or where's this thing I need to find. It's fantastic. That's one of the best features in the app is Wayfinding. Yeah, absolutely. And that app was rated the number one retail app by Forrester in 2019, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, super proud of that. And we were all slapping high fives when that came around as well, too. And look, it was a team effort. It wasn't only user experience. We had product management, project management, data science, engineering. We had all these groups working together in what we called our squad mentality or community mentality as well, too. And the way we defined that was a squad is a a single mission, purpose-driven team that was trying to solve a particular customer problem. You take a bunch of squads, you put them together, that creates a community trying to solve a larger problem. And mobile was that larger problem that we were trying to solve. And like I mentioned, I had a a world-class team that I was very fortunate to have in place. And they worked in that true sense of community as well, too. They didn't really wait for the word go. They were very proactive in terms of what they wanted to build and test and iterate. So for me as a leader, it was more from an oversight standpoint and coming in at different levels, whether it's a 50,000 foot level or the 5,000 foot level, going back to what I was saying earlier on leadership principles is about trust and empowerment and two types of trust. When I think about trust with these teams, it's emotional trust, knowing that I've got their back or I'll go to the bat for, go to bat for them or uh, I've got their careers in, in mind as well, too. And then the practical trust that I know they're going to ship. I know they're going to deliver. I know they're going to get things done and out the door. So that was what's special about that team is that they worked like a true community from the sense of what a community was at the Home Depot, but also a community working together and respecting each other and diverse perspectives and how we can actually solve that particular problem. So super proud of that particular moment. This is really great. Uh, kind of along the same lines of Forrester, um, I don't know, you're probably familiar with they, how, how they define what great customer experience is. So they talk about uh, effectiveness, right? So can I do the thing? Does it provide value to me? They talk about uh, ease of use as kind of the second pillar of great experience. So how easy is it for me to do the thing I want to do? And then the third part of the experience they talk about is emotion. Like how does this experience actually make me feel? And so... They have a claim that emotion uh, has a bigger impact on customer loyalty than effectiveness and ease of use combined. I'd love to hear what your take is on this. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent on that as well. We did a lot of work with Forrester when I was at Home Depot in workshops. We did with other groups as well. User testing, we did workshops. Change Sciences was another group we worked with. And look, we know that there's definitely a qualitative benefit and measurement that needs to be considered here when you think about CSAT or likely to use again. But we know emotional connection drives significant improvements in financial outcomes as well, too. So that's so important because emotionally connected consumers drive greater value. And with every interaction that a customer has, they get that understanding that this company gets me and understands me. And that's so important when you start to deepen the relationship and loyalty and the metrics I mentioned earlier. And this is why I made it part of my strategy when I was at Home Depot. One of the four pillars was measuring customer emotion. How are we going to get there? And the steps to take to, to, to find out what that code was that we cracked to say, hey, we've actually measured this in a way that we can prove not only a quantitative, qualitative benefit, but a quantitative benefit as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
Have you focused your teams around that in the past, uh, around understanding customer emotion or even doing things like capturing or measuring emotion? Or you have to add to that question, even even how to communicate it. Like I find one of the things mm-hmm. with emotion that's hard is like the person that sees the customer have that emotion might get that kind of empathy, if you will. But like, how do you, to Janelle's question, how do you organize around it? And how do you then communicate around it? Emotions are squishy, right? And so that was the eventual goal was to be able to map it to business language and KPIs as well too. And even just to back up a little bit, it was really rallying the team around the mission. I wasn't doing any of this type of work prior to Home Depot. When I got to Home Depot, as I was thinking about my strategy into my second and third year at Home Depot, and I started thinking about customer experience and differentiation and the, the articles that I was reading, the research that we were doing on customer emotion, and knowing that this was the new battleground in terms of differentiation for customer experience, it was easy for me to map it back to what the mission was at Home Depot. And at the Home Depot, you have not only your values, right, but you have this inverted pyramid. And at the top of the inverted pyramid is taking care of our customers. And at the bottom is, is the CEO. So with taking care of our customers is the top priority in terms of what we do. It's easy to kind of map it back to that and say, this is how we're going to put it through this lens. So that way you can start rallying other team members around it. It's not just something we're going to do in a vacuum or an innovation lab or anything like that. This is something that we can actually map back to in terms of what the mission company was about. And the first year really was all about education, research, multiple workshops, understanding different frameworks for measuring emotion as well. And there are a lot. As we started to get a little bit more mature in this particular space, I really tasked it to my research team to start taking a deeper dive into it because we just felt it was like a natural fit in terms of what we were doing, creating that empathy, understanding those behaviors. So they really took the lead and moved forward in in terms of a crawl, walk, run mentality or strategy to get this thing stood up. Eventually, we settled in on Plutchik's wheel as the framework, and we started introducing that into scripts and testing. This became more of the walk. The crawl was the research. The walk was, all right, how do we actually start putting that into testing in our scripts and seeing what those emotional connections or responses were to a particular experience? And again, another natural connection was within our loyalty squad and the launch of our loyalty app. It seemed like a perfect fit. So we were able to align all those measurements together. But really what we wanted to do was create a focus on mapping those emotional moments across that particular journey. And then the bigger vision, like I mentioned earlier, was then how do we actually map that to KPIs? And we wanted to take a similar approach that we were doing with design sprints. We were able to crack a code in terms of saying, here's the business value of a design sprint, not only from a qualitative or brand equity standpoint, but here's the return of what a design sprint can do and how it can benefit in terms of the business. That was the next step in terms of our run methodology like how do we actually show the number, the KPI, the lift, the increase, whatever it was or decrease to that particular journey. So that's where we were headed when I was there. So in early 2019, uh, user testing partnered with the Home Depot to help you with some of the work that you were doing around capturing emotion and measuring emotion. Came on site to, to do a little workshop with the team. Help me understand or maybe talk about your thinking and your goals of of bringing that conversation to the team. Yeah, I think that was really expanding upon our crawl, walk, run mentality in terms of how can we use the user testing platform in a way to measure emotion and and using and also getting educated on different frameworks. And I think we talked extensively about Fletcher's wheel as well, too, you know, which is something that we started using. And I, I think for the benefit of everybody that's listening to the podcast, Definitely take a look at the Plutchik's wheel. It looks like a big flower. It basically has opposite emotions on each ends of the panels. 
in terms of what those opposite emotions look like and feel like. And then in between are like what happens when you put those two emotions together and the outcome of what that looks like. So it was a very interesting conversation uh, that we were having around that, but taking user testing as the platform and allowing our researchers to go in and incorporate really, how do you feel about this particular experience or what did you think about putting this stuff into the scripts and talking to our users about it was really where we were trying to get because that provided that qualitative uh, information we were trying to get out of it. So that was the beauty of, and I think really the, the highlight of that is using the platform as a vehicle for us to understand what users were thinking around a particular journey or experience. Yeah, absolutely. There are two things that stood out to me um, in terms of that workshop and the tactics your team were taking. So one was around assessing emotion after every experience. So we used Pletchik's Wheel. We built some questions into the templates that were reused and asked every time the team was capturing and, and looking at an experience. And then the other one was around encouraging people who were part of the study to really talk about how they felt, to sort of lean into their feelings. And we did that by kind of getting them to talk about a positive and a negative experience that they had with a company in the last three months or so to get them comfortable with kind of talking about what was so great or what was so terrible about it. I think one of the big standouts for me was just how emotional the process of owning and taking care of a home is. Like it's a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the research is there in terms of what that journey looks like between understanding what the project is, the inspiration. Oh my God, it costs this much, you know. So it's like there's a roller coaster that you go through if you are redoing your your bathroom or you're putting on an addition or you're redoing your deck or whatever that is. There's a whole slew of emotions that you're gonna go through when you get there. And I think you know, going back to Andy's earlier question and having conversations early, we also had in that room, I believe either a product manager or two, but we also had a member from our strategy team as well too. And he was instrumental when we were thinking about design sprints and the return and investment in design sprints. We wanted them in there early to start thinking about that as well too. Because like I said, that was the eventual goal was to be able to put a strategy and framework of measurement around what this could be. So that was valuable as well to have them start thinking about that and we could work as a partner interdependently to figure out what that could be. Because the idea and ultimately the longer term vision was to let's try to identify those parts of the journey that are particularly not great from an emotional perspective. See if we can in, in, increase or improve that experience, which will ultimately you know, increase the, the business metrics as well. That's super interesting because it gets to maybe in some level a, a bit of a, a buy-in initially to kind of get going, like to be able to do a crawl, walk, run to getting to that kind of ROI. What kind of guidance do you give to folks that are trying to get the flywheel started? Like what tools or targets or areas of the business would you have folks look at if they're trying to articulate their team's value to their boss or to other executives? Like what's the most effective way to kind of first get permission to start doing it and then to repeatedly show value? Because I think, you know, we feel like we talk to folks in this industry and there are some folks that are fortunate enough to work at a company that either gets it or is starting to get it. And sometimes we work for people or hear from people who are like, I'm evangelizing, like I'm on the mission. I'm just trying to get everybody else to come on board. So how would, how would you advise folks to kind of communicate with, with people in the business and, and executives about the, the value of design? Yeah, there's there's a couple different ways I can take this. And I think I'm going to start off with a quote by an author and a friend of mine, Greg Larkin. And he says, the innovation that is necessary is never authorized. Just let that sit for a moment, especially within a large organization, 
right? So sometimes you have to take that risk and present the outcome versus the idea, especially in a large company, right? So it's so easy for an executive or somebody sitting in a big office somewhere to shoot down an idea because they maybe don't think it's right or they don't understand it or whatever it is. But if you can come with outcomes and data and research, taking care of our customers, it really politically disarms the conversation in terms of what you need to present. So when we're talking to execs or we're talking to business partners, it's really about, A, okay, here's the qualitative measure that we can talk about, talking to our customers, customer feedback, truly knowing the needs and the wants and their frustrations, behaviors. This ladders back to the mission, all right? So that, but that's what Home Depot stands for and believes in. So that's a good place to start. And then you start thinking about quantitative as well, too. Like I said earlier, this type of work shouldn't exist in a vacuum or an innovation lab somewhere. How can we tie it back to a roadmap? or investment, or a success metric. That's something we can all rally around. And I think you have to do that in partnership with product management, project management, and understanding the business value and what that can be. Look, at the end of the day, it becomes very expensive to build the wrong thing. But building the right thing when it comes through research and customer insights is going to be a great metric that we can all get behind. Right? So using both a qualitative and quantitative discussions is a good way to get that going. I'd love to switch gears a little bit just to talk about kind of consumers over the last, I don't know, six plus months. You know, as we all know, the world's changed quite a bit. And and with those world changes, follows consumer behavior, customer behavior. I'd love your opinion on how do you think this changes the way companies should think about UX and design? Or even if there are certain like short-term or long-term considerations that companies need to make. I think people are kind of trying to navigate this new way of the world. And so would love your perspective on that. Sure. I think we can all agree that you know, shopping behaviors have certainly changed in the last six to nine months. And expectations are certainly higher to have the right experience in place. Certainly, that was the case for Home Depot as well, too. You know, with people sitting around their homes for the last four or five, six, seven months, people are looking around and realizing, I don't like the color of that wall, or I need a new front door, or we need, I need to redo my deck, or whatever that is. There was this expectation I need to go out and do something. And that's where curbside came up as well, too. So we were in a position where we had to catch up quickly. And so one of our mantras while we were working there is that, hey, we got to get curbside out the door, but don't let great get in the way of good. Let's get that MVP out. It's not going to be perfect, but there is a high expectation now, even with our competitors, that we need some sort of curbside pickup to help create a better experience and for people to feel safe. And there was also a shift in terms of marketing as well, too. We weren't coming out of the box and saying, sell, sell, sell during COVID. It was more, how can we help you? We are here to help. What can we do for you? So that was great. When you go back to the mission or to the inverted pyramid, right? it's about taking care of our customers. And I think for me, what's happening now, I think it's a long game that we have to play. I don't think behaviors are going to change much after the pandemic. People have become accustomed now to shopping this way, right? whether it's for groceries or stuff you're doing for around your house or whatever that might be, these behaviors are now ingrained. And you, know, you have people that have new personal situations or financial situations or different leisure time. So when it comes to user experience, we, we have to understand these changes, these needs, these frustrations, these wants and behaviors to make sure the right experience is going out there. And as we were saying before, you know, consumer brand loyalty is tied to availability, right? It's so easy for somebody to go somewhere else. If you don't have that widget in stock, well, I can go find it at Target or Walmart or wherever else. So that's where companies really have to lean into 
fulfillment, supply chain, and make those investments and understand is when can I actually get that particular thing I need at this particular moment and how fast can I get it? I think that's really insightful. I, I would also say, you know, back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, taking advantage of the brick and mortar aspect too. I, I've noticed during the past six months, there have certainly been times when I need to go get something for my home and it's it's a now kind of situation. I mean, the whole family's here. There's no there's kind of nowhere else to go. If something's not working or something needs fixed, I mean, I was commenting to Janelle earlier just how much I've been to the Home Depot over the last six months. And sometimes it's because it's a project, things that's been kind of waiting. Like nobody's got a really good excuse not to be through their honeydew list right now. Like you're you're home all the time. Like you should you should get this done. But there's been other times where it's just, you know, something's happened, something's come up, something's been a problem. And, you know, it, it just feels different. It's kind of our place is our house right now. And so the the ability to check online, see they have it, get in my car, go maybe do curbside pickup, feel safe about getting it and have it in my hand and be back home 45 minutes later, including the drive time is pretty incredible and kind of takes advantage of the the infrastructure in a unique way. So I think it's been really positive for me the way Home Depot stepped into that space during all this. No, that's great. And that makes me happy. And look, like we were saying, it's also how our call center is getting involved as well, too. We know they're overrun with the amount of calls that they're getting in. But like you were saying, you know, a poor, a poor experience can really turn off a shopper. At the end of the day, it's very easy to go somewhere else and, and get that particular thing you might need. But a good, interconnected, seamless experience is definitely going to lead to a brand advocate. And that's where that loyalty comes. That experience is important too, right? So I know for, for at least for my family, we've been fixing more stuff on our own even because I'm just a little more hesitant to bring someone into the house to fix something. And so I know twice I've, I've reached out to Home Depot, once calling the individual store and once calling the support line. And the fact that somebody could actually understand what I'm trying to fix, like there was an expertise aspect to it too that was really, really interesting. And you're lucky you have that skill because the only thing in my toolbox is a checkbook and a pen. <laughs> That's typically been mine. I I, uh, I joke that uh, I sometimes will call my dad for uh, for help on this and uh, I'm the oldest of four boys and now my boys are da- damaging stuff. And I think he really enjoys getting to uh, hear me explain all the things that are broken in my house. It's a really like, oh yeah, well, I'm glad it's happening to you now and it's all part of the part of the journey. But yes, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty similar. I'm trying to do a little better, but it's been helpful to have people that can can jump in and give guidance. Good for you. I took up cooking instead in these times that I've been home. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not a particular skill. <laughs> I, I, if, if this goes another six months, maybe that'll be next for me. <laughs> Let's move over um, to the lightning round. So the purpose of the lightning round is really just to kind of get through a handful of questions pretty quickly. What's a book you've recently read that you'd recommend to listeners? Okay. Everybody should buy this book immediately. Not only because it's my friend, but also because it was hugely inspirational. I'll tell you why. So I mentioned it earlier. This Might Get Me Fired is the name of the book, and it's by Greg Larkin. And the reason why it's so inspirational is that in a lot of ways, my team at the Home Depot, the way we were working, the way we were interacting, the way we were running our business is very much aligned with the spirit of Greg's book. And This Might Get Me Fired is not a book about sticking it to the man or anything like that. It goes back to innovation that is necessary is never authorized. And it's about finding like-minded people in secret societies. And we did that through design sprints or accessibility or education. We just called them guilds. Uh, finding that powerful exec or what Greg calls the godfather to help push things through for you, be that champion for you. And we found that as well, too, by my original boss who hired me at the Home Depot. Presenting outcomes over the outputs, right? Presenting the outcome versus the idea. 
So I was so hugely inspired by Greg, and I met him at the How Design Conference in uh, 2019, that I bought copies for my entire team, and I had everybody read it. And like I told my team, it's not about sticking it to the man. This is about how we work. And you'll see a lot of what's happening here is just in different language we're doing. And so we bought into that and started living that. So I think it's a fantastic book. He's got a great point of view. Go out and read it immediately. Good recommendation. I want to put it in my Amazon cart right after this, this recording. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone trying to convince others to invest in customer-centric design? You know, customer-centric design will allow organizations to save time and money from building the wrong thing, right? Nobody wants to build the wrong thing. We want to build the right thing and the right experience and save time and money. And I think the bigger topic right now is, and we've mentioned this a little bit as well, is the business value of design. So sometimes you have to ditch the theory and the design-related jargon and meet your, your partners, your business partners, with that particular language. And I think that's the next evolution in terms of what designer skill sets can look like. And so understanding what's the value or return that we can bring, what are the KPIs that we can measure, how can we improve that, how can we affect ROI? Those are the discussions you need to start having right now to make sure that you're meeting in the middle and you can create a good business case. As someone who's in the experience field, in the design field, UX, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but I tend to evaluate basically every experience that comes my way. What's a recent great experience that you've had lately? Um, and maybe what made it so great? I'm going to give two. One's a digital and one's a physical. And so with digital, I've been on eBay for 22 years at this point. So going back to what we were saying earlier, this is a, this is a company that gets me and knows me and understands me. And it's probably one of my top five most used apps on my phone. And recently, as we've been home for the last four or five months, we've been reorganizing closets and finding things that you could either sell or get rid of. And it's been a while since I've posted things to eBay and sell. I, I usually buy things from there. So I had a couple Lego sets that the kids never used that we just decided to sell. And posting and selling the item through my phone took minutes. It was so easy to use. And I remember years ago where I would like take pictures and do it through my desktop. It took forever. And, and now I just do it right through my phone. They use machine learning as well to have, help match it to similar sets or similar things to get you the right price or what, you, what it should be suggested at. That was fantastic. So I had two things up and, and ready to go within minutes. And I sold one actually yesterday. So that was exciting. So that was a good experience. So I was still a big fan and huge proponent of eBay. And then second is a more of a customer experience. And likely to use again, I'll use that metric. So where I live in Marietta, Georgia, uh, we had a new Greenwise open, which is a subsidiary of Publix. So it's like, like a mini Whole Foods, if you will. And brand new store, it's on the smaller side. And every time we go there, people that work there recognize us, they welcome us. And there's one particular gentleman, his name is Patrick, and he's always at checkout, and he is so enthusiastic. He's so energetic. He calls us VIPs, and he's like, time for the VIPs to check out. And you know, we always have this running dialogue, and I'm like, no autographs today. That's okay. It'll be all right. But he's so, so enthusiastic about the company, about the work, helping people, really just kind of building that empathy and helping you through what you're trying to do. And I mentioned it to the manager on the way out. I said, you need more guys like that working here. I said, that is incredible. I said, I love the store. I love the way it's built. I love the lighting. I love everything about it. When I come and shop, it is so pleasing to me. And having somebody like that work here is even more, it's just icing on top. 
So let's talk about the future. When when you think about the future of customer-driven design and experiences, what are you most excited about? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I think about voice user interfaces and what that's going to look like. I know people are getting more and more comfortable talking to machines. So what is that evolution going to look like? And we were doing some research in this area as well, too, when I was at Home Depot. By 2023, an estimated 8 billion people will be using voice digital assistants. It's, it's crazy, right? So there's huge opportunity there. Uh, so I'm excited about what's going to happen there down the road. And then, of course, with what's happening with mobile and the onset of 5G and what those experiences look like as well, too. So shopping behaviors and expectations are going to get different or they're going to become higher because now you've got this incredible speed. Technology and phones will change as well, too. And even some research that we were doing at Home Depot in Asia, you know, in Asia, it's mobile only. They're not using a lot. Mobiles are everything in terms of how they're living, in terms of their day-to-day experience. So I'd be curious to see if the U.S. eventually follows that in terms of mobile only. I mean, how many times have you left the house without your phone? It's basically in your pocket all the time. And that's really the heartbeat in terms of your day-to-day. So I'm curious to see if the U.S. follows in that way where we become more mobile only over the next couple of years. Yeah, those are those are interesting things to, to ponder and think about. Um, it's amazing too how different culture and location can really, you know, play a part in how you experience the world around you. Yeah, it's so integrated as well too. And I think you know what they've done in Asia in terms of integrating these WePay and WeChat and Alibaba, and it's all kind of together in this one experience. You know, the the bigger companies that you know like Facebook and Amazon and Google and everybody else haven't come out with that solution yet, where everything's kind of all integrated into one unique, seamless experience that you can basically becomes your lifeline. So I'm curious to see how that evolves over time. Well, Paul, uh, thank you so much for for joining us today. This has been incredibly insightful and love to hear your perspective on the world of design, the world of UX, the future, and all the success you've had over the your, your career journey thus far. So thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. And thanks for tuning in to the Human Insight Podcast. Want to keep the conversation going? You can visit our podcast hub, usertesting.com slash podcast, and check out past episodes. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, so you never miss a good episode. And if you enjoyed our show today, please tell a friend or leave us a rating on iTunes.